sat and put the finishing touches on my sermon, and something just wasn't right. I had anxiety. I haven't had anxiety in years. Anyway, I was restless, and I knew that the Lord was trying to direct me to something. So turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 5. Ecclesiastes, chapter 5. We come into this place to worship. We call this a worship service. What does that mean to worship? What does it mean to fear God? Now, there are two types of fear when it comes to God. If you are unsaved, you need to fear God in the sense that you need to be very much afraid of God. Because the Bible says that the wrath of God abides on you. But for the believer, we need not be afraid of our Heavenly Father. But we are to fear God. We are to reverence God. When we come into this place, it's to be a place where we show reverence and awe to the God of whom we've come to worship. And we need to understand that this worship is not about you or me. I had a man come to the church one time, and as he was leaving, he said, I'm sorry, Pastor. He said, but I didn't get anything out of that worship service. I said, well, that's good. It wasn't for you. This, we're, we're not here. It's not about us. It's about worshiping God. It's we gathering as God's people corporately to worship our Heavenly Father, to worship God. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, in this chapter, Solomon turns our attention to the temple and he makes some observation about the worship of God. Uh, or, or in particular, he turns his attention to those who worship God. He's speaking to us. Now, unlike the other Old Testament prophets uh, who were often critical for those who worshiped God but were hypocritical in it, Solomon targets those who come to worship God with good intentions, but they only do it half-heartedly. He especially targets those who make a commitment to the Lord and never fulfill it. Solomon's observations from the past are still relevant for today. You and I are incapable of truly fearing God. But Christ has offered our Heavenly Father what we were unable to give. God demands perfection. God demands absolute perfection. God does not demand that I stop sinning right now and never sin the rest of my life. God demands that I never sin in my life at all. Does that meet any of your... What you can do? No, it doesn't meet any of us. So none of us are able to give God what he, does, what he demands. But Christ did. Christ offered to him that perfect holy life. And through the Holy Spirit, Jesus enables us to fear God in the sense that we reverence him and honor him and to offer him worship that is good, that is acceptable. You know, not all worship is acceptable to God. We are not free 
to walk into a church uh, service and just worship God ever how we please. I heard a preacher tell a, a lady that one time. He was trying to invite her to church, and he says, you know, you just come and just worship God ever how you please. You just worship God ever how the way you want to. And the Bible specifically forbids that. God has laid out exactly how he is to be approached, exactly how he is to be worshipped, and we must worship him in that way. But you and I are incapable of doing that outside Christ. We have to have worship that is pleasing in his sight. Look at verse 1. Solomon says, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they're doing evil. Now this observation echoes Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 8, where it says the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. Solomon scolds the person who comes into God's house, makes a show of what he's doing and offering sacrifices before the Lord. In other words, they say, as long as I can come in here and, and show up on Sunday, God will be happy with me. And Solomon says, no, God will not accept that worship. He calls them fools, uh, and, and it's a great insult. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 7. Jeremiah chapter 7, Jeremiah is, is sent by the Lord to stand at the temple, at the door of the temple, and speak to the people who are there to worship. And here in chapter 7, notice what he says beginning with verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, stand in the gate of the Lord's house, and proclaim there this word, and say, hear the word of the Lord. All you men of Judah who enter these gates to worship the Lord, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in those deceptive words, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice with one another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, now listen to what he says, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you've not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say we are delivered, only to go on doing all these abominations? So Jeremiah is saying to the people that, got through, that God is saying through Jeremiah, he's saying, look, you come into my house. He said, out there, he said, you live wicked lives. You're involved in, in murders and adulteries and worshiping false gods, but then you come into my house and say, okay, we're in God's house, so everything's okay now. And God says, no, it's not. Verse 11, has this house, which is called by my name, become a 
become a den of robbers? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. Go now to my place that was in Shiloh, where I made my name dwell at first and see what I did because of the evil of my people Israel. God destroyed it. That's what he did because of it. And now, because you have done all these things, declares the Lord, and when I spoke to you persistently, you did not listen, and when I called, you did not answer. Therefore, I will do to the house that is called by my name and in which you trust and to the place that I gave it to you and to your fathers as I did to Shiloh. And I will cast you out of my sight. I will cast out all your kinsmen, all the offspring of Ephraim. As for you, do listen, folks. You hear what God's saying to these people? All right. Now, I want to tell you, we're about to read some of the most terrifying words you read in the Bible. Verse 18 uh, 16, as for you, do not pray for these people or lift up a cry or a prayer for this and do not intercede with me for I will not hear you. Now, here's what's going on. Same thing that Solomon's talking about in Ecclesiastes. He says, guard your steps when you go into the house of God. Don't go in there half-heartedly. Don't go in there uh, hypocritically. He said, you come into my house to worship me, but you must be my people. You must abide and live by my demands. We must fear God. And God says, when you come into my house and you make a pretense of worship to me, while outside you live a life of ungodliness and unrighteousness, God says to Jeremiah, he says, don't pray for these people because I won't hear you. Listen, that's terrible words right there. Verse 17, do you not see what they're doing in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood, the fathers candle fire, and the women knead dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven, and they pour out drink offerings to other gods to provoke me to anger. In other words, he says, outside my house, they're out there and they're offering their sacrifices to other gods. Do we not do the same thing? We're out there offering uh, sacrifices to the God of money, to the God of sex, to, the, to all these other gods. And we come into God's house and think, hey, it's okay now. I'm in God's house. All is good. You know what we do? We, we walk a very thin, dangerous line of presuming on the grace of God. I'm outside these walls. I'm in the privacy of my own house. Nobody knows what I'm doing. Nobody knows I'm looking at this. Nobody knows that I'm doing that. But God says, I do. I do know, for I see everything you do. Now listen, I don't know what your secret sin is. You don't know what my secret sin is, but I want to tell you something, folks. God does know. And, and when I get out there and I say, you know what? I'll give in to this temptation just this once. By the way, that's a lie. You know, you don't do it just once. But then I say, you know, God will forgive me. He's promised to forgive. I'll go to church Sunday and I'll confess and I'll, I'll repent and God will forgive. And that's presuming upon the grace of God. And that's what the people in Jeremiah's day were doing. And Jeremiah, God said to Jeremiah, don't pray for them because I will not hear you. And Solomon says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Solomon says it better. It is better to come to the house of God than to just simply listen. But listening doesn't mean that we just sit here quietly. To listen is to hear what is said and obey what God has said. 
James 1.22, be doers of the word and not hearers only. If all you do, James says, is hear the word and you go on and you don't do the word, he said, you have accomplished absolutely nothing. We are to obey. 1 Samuel 15.22, it says, it, uh, it, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. In other words, we come into God's house and you are sitting here this morning. And I want to tell you something, folks. If you don't know this, you need to listen. You are not here by accident. You did not just wake up this morning and said, you know, I think I'll go down there to the chapel. You are here by divine appointment. God has a message. I am here by divine appointments. All of us are. None of us are here by accident. But, but the, it is better to obey what we hear than sacrifice. We say, well, if I can just give my money, if I can just give my time, if I can just give my talents to the church, if I can just get involved in doing something in the church, I may not be obedient to God out there, but in here I'm going to do everything I can. And God says... It's nothing. It means nothing to me. He said, if you're not going to obey me, can we truly say that we have heard the Lord's command and not obeyed him? We must be obedient. Verse 2 and 3, Solomon of Ecclesiastes 5. <clears throat> be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few, for a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. He says a fool is quick to speak and then utters many words. The Apostle Paul tells us that we need to be slow to speak, quick to hear. And, and Solomon, he, he says they're, they're like fools who, who their words are like a dream to them. They're useless. They're empty. They mean nothing. For me to stand in here and say, folks, you need to hear the word of God. You need to be obedient to the word of God. And then I go out there and I don't do it. Solomon says, it's better for me to sit down and shut up than to stand up here and say, hear the word of the Lord and you obey it while I don't. We all are like this. We all have done this. He says their words are useless and empty rather than, than uttering the babblings of a fool. In verse 4 through 6, he says, When you vow about a God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you owe. It is better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? We must do what we vow to do. And Solomon says that a wise person is slow to commit himself, and when he does, he is a person of few words. Would you rather be a person who makes a hundred promises and keeps only a few or be a person who makes a few promises and keeps all of them? And this is what God says. Solomon's point is that a person might sound all flowery and pious as he approaches the Lord, but his words are empty. They're only lip service. In Matthew 15, 8, Jesus said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Let me ask you something this morning. We just sang songs of praise to God. We're listening to the Word of God. But where's your heart? Where's your heart at? 
Is your heart this morning saying, Lord, speak to me and help me obey you? Where is our heart? Jesus said, we are not to honor him just with our lips, but with our hearts also. And the observations of, of Solomon are, you know, they're, they're repeated by Jesus over in Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who calls Jesus Lord is truly saved, is what he's saying. He says, But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Do you know what it means to do the will of the Father? It means to obey him. You know what the will of the Father is, don't you? That we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and trust in him alone. But Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Now listen, on that day, he says, many, many will say to me, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do mighty works in your name? In other words, Lord... Listen, I was a preacher. I was an elder. I was a deacon. I was a pianist. I was a, involved in the church in every way I could. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Don't think that because you come into the house of God that you have worshiped. God says, you want to worship me? You want to show me that you fear me? Obey what I say. Obey me. Because of the abiding presence of sin, we are incapable of offering God the, the, the obedience that he requires. Okay? Now, here's the thing. God has demanded something of us that we can't give. Now, why would a loving God tell me, you must do this, even though he knows I can't do that? But here's one of the wonderful truths of the word of God that you will ever hear. Okay, you ready? You might want to write this down. What God demands, God provides. Isn't that wonderful? What God demands, God provides. If we look intently at the law and its demands, we see that it addresses matters of the heart in terms of deeds and motives and thoughts. God is not just interested in what I do. He's interested in why I do it. We look at the law of God, the moral law of God. You shall have no other gods before me. Is there anybody that has never broken that commandment? You should not take the Lord name of the Lord in vain. Is there anybody here that's never broken that? You should not commit adultery. You should not steal. You shall not lie. Is there anybody here that has never broken any of those? No, none of us. Even if you've only broke one, you've broken them all. And so the law of God shows us how far short we fall. We, we, and we see that it, that it deals with everything. Jesus said, you know, if you, have, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you're guilty of adultery. He says, if you, if you make a vow to God and don't keep it, you've lied. 
We find ourselves at the foot of Mount Sinai as God gave the law to Moses and the entire mountain was covered with smoke and the whole mountain shook to the point that the people were afraid. And the voice of God spoke and we find ourselves there at the, at, at the foot of Mount Sinai whose heights are we are unable to climb from which the law was given and on which the Lord dwells. You see, when God gave the Ten Commandments and said, Obey this and I will let you live, knowing we couldn't do it. But what God demands, God provides. You know what? You know one of the most beautiful stories of that is found in the Bible. It's found in the book of Genesis. For years, Abraham had waited for a son. And God told him, he said, I'll give you a son that's going to be an heir. He said, his descendants will be like the stars of the sky, like the sand of the sea, unable to count them. When I say it's right. And... When Abraham was well advanced in age and Sarah was well beyond childbearing time, God gave them a son. Named him Isaac, the son of promise. Every promise God had made Abraham was there in Isaac. And Abraham was just overjoyed. He finally had a son. He finally had an heir. To, and all the promises of God would come through him. And Abraham was just ecstatic. And then sometime later, when Isaac was probably about 33 years old, he was not a little boy, he was a grown man. God spoke to Abraham and said, hey, you know that son I gave you? Abraham said, yeah, God, thank you again. He said, well, I want you to go to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him. You know what Abraham did? He packed up and he went to Mount Moriah. Abraham believed the promises of God. And as the Abraham and Isaac are walking up the mountain, and Isaac says, Father, I see the wood, I see the fire, but where's the sacrifice? You know what Abraham said? God will provide the lamb. What God demands, God provides. Abraham laid it all out. Isaac was laying there. Abraham had the knife in his hand about to plunge it into the heart of Isaac. And God, the angel of the Lord, stopped him. By the way, you know who the angel of the Lord is, right? That's Jesus. He stopped him and said, now I know that you fear me, that you reverence me. And over in the thicket was a ram caught. And Abraham, what God demanded, God provided God will provide. And so what we see here is we are, are, are ill-equipped to climb this mountain that God has, has, has commanded us to climb. And off we are ill-equipped to offer the sacrifice and the offering and the obedience that God requires. We are prone to run from God in rebellion. We are prone. Listen, I have been a Christian for many years. I've been preaching for about 30-something years, and I still find every day I am prone to run from God. I don't understand that, but I know it's true. We are prone to do that unless we keep our faith, keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Romans chapter 10, 3, verse 10 and 18 says, There's none righteous, no, not one. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So we find ourselves in a quandary here. We find ourselves in a difficult position. How can we offer God something we cannot possibly give? Again, God provides what He demands. When Paul says no one is righteous, that there is none who has ever been righteous, he is, of course, accepting one. And his name was Jesus. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. He never sinned in word, thought, or deed. Everything he did was to please his Father. Think of the, the extent of his obedience. In Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says that Jesus was obedient even to the point of death. You know, there in, in the garden, before his arrest, Jesus prayed. He said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Now, I want to tell you something. Jesus was not afraid of the cross. He was not afraid of being crucified. As terrible as that is, that is probably the most cruel form of execution ever devised by man. Jesus knew that on that cross, he would be made sin for us. And you remember when Jesus cried out and he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because God the Father had to turn away from his Son. Because God cannot look upon sin. And Jesus was obedient. When he said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And the Father, in effect, said, Son, there's no other way. There's no other way for Bobby to be saved. There's no other way for Tim to be saved. There's no other way for Laura to be saved. You know what Jesus did? He got up and he went to the cross and he was crucified. God provided the perfect sacrifice. And as we contemplate the perfect obedience of Christ, we see his perfect righteousness and become even more aware of our own unrighteousness. You know, we just finished a study not too long ago on holiness. And one of the things we learned in that study was this. The more holy I become, the less holy I will believe myself to be. Because the more holy I become, the more my sin I see. The more clearer my sin is. And as we look, as we look upon the face of Jesus Christ... In His presence, when we come into this place and we come to worship God and, and, and we must guard our steps and we must pay our vows to God and we must remember we are in the presence of holiness. The presence of the one who is King of kings and Lord of lords. The one who is perfect righteousness. You know, of all God's attributes... There's only one attribute that God has that is elevated to the third level. And we find it in the book of Isaiah, and we find it in the book of Revelation, that Jesus, or God, same thing, the angels cry out and say, He is holy, holy, holy. 
We don't read anywhere that God is love, 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 or omniscient, 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 but God is holy, holy, holy. God is perfect righteousness, and Jesus is God in the flesh. And when we look to Christ by faith alone, and every one of our sins are taken away, what was ours becomes Christ's, and what was Christ's becomes ours. First, Second uh, Corinthians five twenty one. He made him Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. You know why? So that we might become the perfect righteousness of God. Jesus took our sin and gave us His righteousness. Now, folks. Does that not cause you to want to fall on your knees before this holy God and thank Him and praise Him and worship Him? You know, I think of Mary, who was a prostitute. Jesus forgave her sins. And you find her there in the Gospels, bowing at His feet and washing His feet with her tears and using her hair. It was an act of worship. How are we worshiping God? We must first of all look to Christ and have His, His righteousness imputed to us. You see, we can't worship God if we can't approach God. And the only way we can approach God is through the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. We are robed in His perfect obedience. Christ paid the penalty on our behalf. And when Jesus uh, saves us by the effectual calling of the Word of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are given the ability to believe in Christ and to trust in His work. But we're also given the ability to truly fear God. And apart from Christ... The words of Solomon here, apart from Christ, they only bring one thing. Condemnation. That's all they bring. Apart from Christ, there is nothing for you in the presence of God but judgment and wrath and condemnation. Apart from Christ, that's all we have. But what does Paul tell us? One of the greatest verses in the Bible. The greatest chapter of the greatest book of the Bible. Romans 8.1. Y'all should have known that. But there is therefore now. That's an important word. Now. No condemnation to who? Those who are in Christ Jesus. So where is no condemnation found? In Christ Jesus. Through Christ, there is no longer condemnation. For the law is written on our hearts by Christ through the Spirit. We can now understand Solomon's intent in saying that to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. And we must come to the gathering of God's people, not hoping that God will be pleased with us if we just go through the motions. As long as I say the right words, as long as I do the right things, as long as I dress the right way. Solomon says you're a fool if you do that. We must come prepared to worship. We must realize that God will be pleased with us only as we come to Him through Christ. 
and we worship. We worship him in Christ. He will enable us to offer the sacrifice of praise out of a genuine thankfulness for the mercies that we've received in Christ. Listen, I don't think we, I think a lot of times we don't understand. You know, Martin Luther one time said, I have to preach the doctrine of justification by faith alone to my students every week. You know why? Because every week they forget it. We need to hear the gospel every week because every week we forget it. We forget the fact that in one moment we were dead in trespass and sins. In, in, in one moment we were under the wrath of God, enemies of God, bound for an eternity as separated from God in hell. And in an instant we placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and in an instant we passed from death into life. We were no longer enemies. Now we're sons and daughters. We're no longer under wrath. There's no, one, there's, never, there's no more condemnation. Now our eternity is settled in heaven in the presence of God forever. And listen, do you know one of the things that the purposes of our worship service? This is, this is practice. Because this is what we're going to do for eternity. One day... We won't have to walk by faith anymore because we'll see him face to face. And that's why, folks, look, I, I, I get it. People, I understand the emotions of people sometimes, but I disagree with the fact that when I see Jesus, that I'm going to run up to him and hug him. I'm not going to do that. I disagree with the fact that I'm going to be looking around trying to find my loved ones. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to fall at his feet and worship by the way, so are you. We all will. And, and, and we are to, this is what we are supposed to be doing even now, only now we do it by faith. Our motive in every vow, every promise, every commitment is not to impress God or those around us, but to serve the God who has saved us. Our faithfulness will be manifest in our lives, not our words. So let me ask you, why are you here? Why are you here this morning? Are you here to worship God? Or are you here to see and be seen? Are you here to hear and be heard? Are you here to eat? <laughs> Or did you come in here? You know, when we sang the song, did you sing it from your heart? Or did you just read the words and go through it and, you know, do that? Did we truly come in here to worship? Listen, God knows. God knows what's in my heart. He knows what's in your heart. I don't know what's in your heart. You don't know what's in mine. But God knows. You know, the Psalm, psalm 139, my favorite psalm. He says, you know what I'm going to say before I ever say it. You know when I sit down, you know when I lie down. When I, he says, where can I go? Where can I escape from you, God? And his, his, his question is rhetorical. The obvious answer is nowhere. You see the point that the psalmist is making? He's saying, God, you know everything about me. You know what's in my heart. You know what's in my mind. You know why I'm doing this. 
And we need to pray like the psalmist does in Psalm 139 and say, Search me, O God, and see if there be any wicked way in me. And he calls on God to search him. Let us guard our steps when we gather together in this house to worship and, and, and to fear the Lord. Listen, folks, you don't just fear God while you're in these walls. We must fear God when we're out there at work, when we're out there at home, when we're out there at Walmart. Really, when you're out there at Walmart, you need to fear God. Listen, we need to fear God. Every aspect of our life should show that we reverence and honor our God because He deserves it. You know, let me read one more verse for you. Over in Revelation chapter 4. I think it is. Let me see here. Yeah, Revelation chapter 4. <clears throat> now, the picture we have here in Revelation 4 is John has been transported into the throne room of God. And he sees a throne. He sees a rainbow around the throne of all these beautiful colors. He sees these cherubim around the throne. And they're crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. But then he talks about the 24 elders, and I believe those 24 elders represent all of mankind that's been saved around the throne of God. And notice what they say. Worthy, in verse 11, worthy are you, O Lord and God, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. He says, worthy are you. That's what it means to worship to show God that He is worthy of our adoration. He is worthy of everything. Worthy of glory and honor and power. And we should fear God out of respect and honor for Him. Trusting God in Christ by the Holy Spirit. And desiring to manifest the obedience of Christ before God and before the world. We must learn to worship. But we only learn to worship as we are in Christ. And let me ask you, are you in Christ this morning? Is there no condemnation for you because you're in Christ? Or do you say, you know what? I'm just going to live my own life. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to believe what I want to believe. I'm not really going to go by what the Word of God says. Oh, I believe in God. By the way, you know what the book of James tells us? It says, it says that the devil believes too, and he trembles. Just believing is not enough. You must act upon that belief. It must be in that. You can have it up here and not have it right here. You know, Pastor Stephen Lawson one time said <clears throat> that there are a great many people who are going to miss heaven by 12 inches, the distance between their head and their heart. Do you believe this morning, have you ever bowed at the feet of Christ in confession and repentance and believed on Him and Him alone and said, Lord, my life means nothing to me. I give it away to you. Have you ever bowed before the feet of Christ and said, Lord, I confess I am a sinful man. Have mercy on me. Do you believe? What are you trusting in? Do you believe one day you will stand before a holy God? Well, I want to tell you something. You will stand before a holy God. But you will stand before Him either as a father or as a judge. 
And I want to tell you, you don't want to be there as him as a judge because his, his verdict will be final and his verdict will be eternal death in the fiery hell that he has created. And listen, don't get the idea that in hell there is no God. The same God that rules heaven rules hell. Satan will not be in charge. Satan will be suffering along with everybody else. But I ask you this morning, do you know that you've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and you've been saved? And I, 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 I beg you this morning, there's an urgency to the hour we live in. Folks, the, the, the curtain is drawing to a close. The storm clouds are gathering. Jesus is coming. And he could come at any moment. When he comes, will he come as your Savior or as your judge? Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you. And Father, I pray that our worship this morning has been pleasing in your sight. For Father, we worship you by faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for saving us when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Thank you for doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Thank you, Father, for providing that which you demand. And may we, Father, learn to walk by faith, trusting every aspect of our life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Trusting in Him alone, not our good works, not our church membership, not our good intentions but Christ alone. May we learn to guard our steps when we come into your house. So we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.